0: All of us are on a journey of becoming, a complicated journey in pursuit of truth and deeper knowledge of the divine. Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing and that it can be a painful and difficult journey and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson and I too am on a journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my journey and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith but it is perhaps one of its greatest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. All right, well welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm your host Josh Patterson, and with me today, I'm excited to welcome back to the podcast Trace Bell. Trace, how's it going, man? Really great. Thanks
1: for having me back. I'm I'm so excited. It's it's an honor to be back.
0: Yeah, man, I'm excited. Thanks for thanks for coming back. It it was cool we were kind of talking uh, offline here before we started just about I guess it was back in like April or or May somewhere around there that we last spoke. And uh how like life has happened since then. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm kind of excited to see, uh, you know, where this conversation goes. Um, yeah. So I guess just a, a quick question that I would ask you just, uh, from like a practical standpoint, what kind of stuff have you been up to since the last time we talked? Anything? Yeah, so fun?
1: I, I think, uh, I think when we last talked in the spring, um, I'm not sure did I, was I running my living the spiral course? Did I, did I talk about that? You so that, you had
0: mentioned it, you might have like just been about to start it or something like that. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so I think I had was either I had just started it, or was just about to start it, which is crazy to think about because I, we're now, uh, I think I'm running my like 13th group or something like that, or 14th group. It's become like a staple, uh, of my of my work and just like of my life of just week in week out doing this uh, living the spiral course so it's really it's kind of funny to think about the last time I talked to you uh I was just it was just getting started but yeah I created this uh the seven week course around uh spiral dynamics which is a psychological development model that maps how um humans grow how consciousness develops over time uh, my dad and I did a four-part series on the Robcast called Me, We, Everybody back in the fall of 2020, where we covered the model and we talked about it. And it, it ended up being a really like a pretty big hit. Um, and a lot of people, a lot of people listen to that. A lot of people, uh, it really had an impact on a lot of people. And I've heard from from tons of people how it changed, how they view themselves, uh, their, their growth journey, their, their friends and family around them, society at large. Um, so it was, that, that was amazing. I had no idea when I recorded that with my dad, that it was going to be, uh, you know, it was going to be so huge. Um, so I created this, I created this course called living the spiral that I run with my, uh, my partner, Tina Olson, um, where we take people through a, a seven week, uh, course experience on zoom, uh, taking them through the spiral and helping them, uh, embody the health of each stage. So that's, that's been amazing. I mean, that's been incredible just to be able to do that um, and build the relationships with amazing people. We have this thing called, uh, the mighty networks, which is, I don't know if you've heard of that, um, which is like, it's kind of like Facebook groups, but without all the Facebook nonsense. Um, so we have people in, we have a whole, everyone that's in one of the living, the spiral joins our mighty networks. We have this whole kind of like online community. I do was doing, um, I do a course called how to talk to your kids about spirituality. Um, because, a lot of people are are curious about, you know, how I grew up with my dad being a, a, a spiritual figure um, and kind of curious about the household I grew up in. And I um, now that I've really moved into this this, this work as an adult, um, I have been able to look back on my upbringing and see uh, how many amazing things my, my parents did and how they created the environments that allowed them uh, that allowed me to find my own kind of spiritual connection and allowed me to explore. Um, So I'm really passionate about helping parents, parent from that more kind of conscious place um, and create that environment in their household that allows their kids to find their own spiritual connection. So I was doing a a course on Zoom called How to Talk to Your Kids About Spirituality and Working with Parents. I now have that as an audio up on my site, um, but I work a lot with parents as far as uh, helping them create that kind of environment and parent in a way that's going to help their kids um, find their own spiritual connection and not give more kind of dogma and rigidity to their kids like oftentimes organized religion can be. Uh, um, So that's been, that's been incredible. It's been amazing. Uh, it's, It's been really fun to kind of flip the, usually when people are talking about how to Talk to your kids about something or how to how to parents usually from a parent's perspective, but this time doing it from a kid's perspective. I don't have kids of my own, but this time doing it from a kid's perspective and saying, This is what worked for me, this is what my parents did, uh, has been really, really amazing. I'm doing a I did a meditation series on my website, uh, more podcasts with my dad, uh, tons of sessions with people. Um I started a podcast with my partner called uh called Snap Count, uh, which is a kind of a a phrase, my it was kind of an inside joke with my dad. Uh, my girlfriend and I, just to kind of weird my dad out, um, would, when we were with him, we would, we, we would like take something, take an object or you, sometimes it was a football and we would just like hike it to each other, like bend down like a center and just like snap it to each other just at random times. So when we were creating this podcast, and my dad was like, you know, what you guys got to call it, you guys got to call it snap count. So we call it snap count. So yeah, I've been up to, I've been up to a, a, a lot of stuff. Um, all that's all those stuff I'm up to is available on my website, tracebell.com, um, and it's been, it's been a really awesome past year, just experimenting with new stuff, trying new stuff, trying new material, working with people, learning a ton from working with people. Um, I feel like I've really just been like, just trying a bunch of new stuff and just seeing what resonates with people and just kind of growing as a teacher in that way.
0: Yeah, man, that's awesome. You sound like you've been kind of a busy dude.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's, it's been busy, but really nice when I, I really, I really love, you know, every minute of this work. So. Um, being able to, to be busy with stuff that you, that, that you love and that energizes you is really something that's a tremendous gift.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Cause like when you, like when you're able to step into something, where do you just know, like, that's like, that's your fit. Like that's the play you're doing the thing that you're supposed to do. It never really feels like busyness or something like that. It's just like, yeah, of course, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm just like living and doing the thing I'm supposed to. So like, why, why would I do anything else?
1: Absolutely. And I, I felt, I always felt so out of place in the school and not like, like I was, I was always very social and had a lot of friends in school. Like it wasn't like a, out of place of, you know, not being able to interact with anyone or or not being able to, to make friends. I just felt out of place. Cause it was just like something about school just wasn't very stimulating to me. I, like high school, I went to a bunch of different high schools and then um, I ended up going to UCLA and I just found it like, I just found it kind of boring. Like I just, it wasn't really like, and I was like, I just don't feel like I fit in the system. And it's been amazing this past year, like stepping into spiritual work and teaching consciousness is like, oh my gosh, like, this is just, this is such a, this this is the fit right here. Like this, it, it, it finally feels like it's like clicking like some, some sort of like arena in which, um, I actually, I actually feel like stimulated and like from a kind of like deep soul place, you know, like a deep kind of like soul yearning to do this work. Um, so it's been, it's, it's just been an amazing year. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's awesome, man. That, uh, that kind of, I mean, that like resonates deeply too with um, just like some of the different things I've been doing. So I think the last time we talked, I was like, just like fresh out basically of like, stop being a pastor. Like it just stopped and started working in the, the beer world where I started out as a bartender very quickly, became a general manager. Um, but then basically uh, I think you'll understand this language. My interior And exterior realities were like out of alignment, like Mm -hmm. quickly became out of alignment, actually, in a very similar way that they were disaligned when I was uh, doing pastoral work, which is weird, working at a church. And so, like, they quickly came apart. And then I remember, um, like, waking up one morning and, like, doing uh, some, like, contemplative practice, like, centering prayer stuff. And when I was done, uh, basically, I knew, like, a deep, knowing that like i was going to resign as gm today and then as mm. soon as i knew that my mind was like wait a minute josh that's the dumbest thing that you could do why would you do that that's not smart you know financially whatever uh but i did i went in and i resigned <laughs> um and it it felt it just felt right it was like mm-hmm. i had this deep knowing i um you know kind of listened to my body in in that regards and uh long story short i ended up uh, becoming a brewer and so now I'm mm. I'm brewing beer uh, which has been awesome um, and I've been like on a whole crazy spiritual journey of my own <laughs> mm, which is, I love it yeah it's it's been cool and it, it all kind of started around like some of that spiral dynamic stuff because I had I listened to that series uh, that you had mentioned the Me We Everybody uh, bit that you did on the Robcast while I was like at the very tail end of my time at uh the church I was working for and that kind of like kicked some things off for me and uh yeah then I started reading some really cool stuff and it's night and day my friend mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very drastic difference and so I'm excited to kind of just talk about some of that stuff with you today well, I'm honored to play uh
1: somewhat of a role in that whole process. With- yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> makes me really happy.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. I'm uh I'm appreciative of, of your work. And so um I'm excited for this. But I guess uh you you had mentioned um another or I think you mentioned it. You were talking when you were just talking, you did another uh, Robcast episode recently uh that kind of blew up. Um I forget it. it. was something like, it had a cool name, something like talking with trace on a Thursday or something like that. Yep. And uh, yeah, that, so that episode actually was like the catalyst that sparked again. I was like, okay, I want to talk to trace again now. And this seems like the, the kind of the right moment to do it. And so when I was listening to that episode um, at work, I was actually cleaning kegs and filling kegs. It was a very spiritual exercise and, yeah. <laughs> and uh, um yeah, you had, you were talking about um, some of these different people that you had read and and found helpful. And um, a lot of the people I had, like, I recognized their names, either just from encountering them in like quotes, you know, in some books or actually reading some of their stuff. But one name that you brought up that I didn't, like, have any connection to was Rupert Spira. And uh, your dad, like, kind of chuckled and, like, laughed and like made some kind of comment about like oh yeah when you started reading Rupert spirit like I knew like something cool was happening and so I was like man I have to figure out who this this Rupert guy is <laughs> and so I did I picked up uh, his book The Nature of Consciousness and then uh, very quickly also grabbed his like two little meditation books um, Being Myself and Being Aware of Being Aware and they have been insanely helpful mm. and so um, I kind of wanted to to talk to you about uh, some Rupert Spears stuff today, if that's yeah, cool I'd love to. Sweet. Well, how, so like, how did you even first come into contact with with Spears' work? Oh, that's a great question. Um, it
1: was August of 2020, so it was that that so that first summer of COVID, um, and I think I was I was reading a bunch during that summer, and I was I was like I mentioned on the podcast, I was reading a, like Ken Wilber. Um, and I was, I've always been fascinated by, uh, consciousness ever since a little kid. I mean, I really, I honestly think that's my, like my, I call them doorways to refer to like our, our entrances kind of into spirituality. Like the thing that was bringing us into spirituality. Um, I really believe like my ultimate doorway was just the, the fascination with the mystery of consciousness. Like, it's just, there was something about it that was just, um, so fascinating and mysterious to me. And I, like, I couldn't, I couldn't exactly put my finger on why. Um, so I remember during that time, uh, I was kind of looking for spiritual teachers that were talking about consciousness and talking about the language of consciousness. And I was also interested in, in non-duality. I, I had sort of heard about non-duality and interested about like what it, what is what is non-duality? What does that mean? Who's talking about non-duality? And I honestly think I just just doing research, and his name just came up, and I saw the book. Um, the first title I saw was Be, uh, "Being Aware of Being Aware," and I was like, oh, what a cool title like like let, let me check this one out and that was the first one I read and when, when I started reading him it was like oh my gosh like it, it the simplicity and the the way that it felt like it was almost speaking a language that like I never knew I it was like a language almost like tailored for me sort of um like it was like a language that was just so simple and so to the point and so profound um and there was something about it that just touched my soul in like such a such a deep way. Um, uh, and from then on, I was I was hooked. I, I read being aware of being aware, and then I read um nature of consciousness. And nature of consciousness to me is like the quintessential, just like um I think that book is like s- so many years ahead of its time and, and just a, an incredible uh book. So that was, yeah, that was really how I first kind of stumbled upon him.
0: Yeah, I think um. I like, I like kind of how you described, like how his words uh, just like resonated with you in like a, like a deep, like soul level. I think like I've found um, in reading some like more like spiritual authors, uh, there are some people that have like this really amazing gift to kind of um, it's almost like they're able to draw something out of you that has kind of been there the whole time, but maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe almost, you just kind of like forgot about it or something like that. Yep. like from a deeper place of knowing. And I feel like Spira is able to do that, like, like draw this stuff kind of out of, uh, out of at least, you know, in my experience out of myself. Um, And some other people like uh, John Philip Newell, if you're familiar with Mm -hmm. him, I feel like he has a way of doing that. Um, Phil Shepard is somebody that I've, I've read since we last talked and Philip Shepard's book, The Radical Wholeness of Being, uh, did kind of the same thing for Mm. me. Yeah.
1: Oh, let me and, write, let me write, because I, I know, I know John Philip, I'm very familiar with him. Oh, cool. uh, who was the, who was that last? Oh, uh, Philip, Philip Shepherd. Okay. Philip Shepard. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Um, he has a, a book called the radical wholeness of being and um, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. He uh, his, I mean, just his story alone is crazy. He like, yeah, he decided one day that like, he didn't want to play this game anymore. And like, Ditched everything, bought a bicycle and like rode a bicycle like all the way across Europe, like into uh like down into like Japan and stuff. Like crazy, crazy cool dude. Um yeah, I think you'll, wow, you'll like it stuff.
1: Yeah, thank you. I'm 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 glad it thank you for that recommendation. This looks
0: awesome. Yeah, for sure. I I think you'll like it. And I mean, if um Spira, you know, speaks to you, I think he will as well. Um, so yeah, what but like I guess in regards to spira and this is like a super loaded big question uh so i'm interested to see what you think but like what like what impact specifically has spira's work had on you or like what what has been the most impactful aspect of it um for you
1: uh i think uh honestly there's a it's really been almost like confirming a lot of intuitions i had about reality to me it was really like what really uh, touched my heart in a way that's even sort of like hard to put into words. But as a kid, um, I had this, like, as a kid, I, like I said, I had this deep fascination with consciousness. And I also just had these like deep intuitions about reality. Like there was this deep as a kid, I just had this deep intuition that I had been here before. Like the idea that that this was my first kind of life or like that, that my identity was just trace and, and just, like it was only just trace and it was just born. And this was the first time I was experiencing life. Like that idea as a kid, like sounded like ridiculous to me. Like there was, there was something that just like an intuitive level, like there was some intuitive sense that there's a, there's an identity that we have that's beyond the body. And there's a, there's a, there's an identity that, that lives on um, and has been, has been living on. There's an identity in us that wasn't, wasn't born and doesn't die. Um, And I just had these, like this deep kind of intuition about, um, the depth of our being and, and the depth of reality itself. And I had these really like interesting intuitions about um, the nature of infinity. Um, and, and it, these were things as a kid, I couldn't really like articulate or like put into words. It was just something that sort of like sat at my heart. Um, and Rupert, what Rupert Spirit did um, was his writing. It was like there was the, the simplicity and the how clear it was Um, It really put uh, words, it it, it really put words to a lot of the awakenings I'd experienced um, at that point. Um, So that was, I mean, that was another thing that was huge was just um, having someone write, write about awakening in such a simple and clear way, kind of it it removed so much of the the mind's ideas about awakening and the way that we can kind of get lost in concept land. Um, So really to me, it was just like a very, just the simplicity of just like, um, kind of, it all. it felt like there was just like, like everything was kind of coming full circle. Like, Oh, trace of, this is why you've had those intuitions as a kid. Like, like the, the nature of reality is infinitely deep and infinitely complex. And paradoxically, it's also radically simple at the same time, like holding, you can hold both of those truths at the same time. So just, there was like a, it's hard to put into words, but there was just a sort of like really kind of like calm, kind of like a calming, um, kind of like peaceful reassurance, um, that his work gave me is, is how I would, is the, what, what comes up for me when you ask that question? It's a fantastic question.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I guess for me, it's, it's, it's been interesting just to see like how, like how my body or like, yeah, my body responds to things when I read, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Uh, for example, I read something from a uh, person that I used to look up to, like growing up in high school. Uh, they were like the front like lead guitarist or not guitarist, like vocalist for a band I really liked. And I looked up to them a lot. And recently they put something out and I read it and I just had like this deep visceral reaction that was just like not good. Right. Mm. Um, like a lot of anger and like I felt it in my chest and in my gut. It was just like not good. Mm -hmm. Um, but then on the flip side of that, there's things that you read and it, um, like the body relaxes almost Mm -hmm. like it, it, it has the opposite effect and it, uh, it brings like a, like a smile to my face. And, um, like my, my spirit changes. Like I, I feel filled with like joy, like, Oh my goodness, this, you know, uh, this is good news, so to speak. And that for me, that's kind of what happened, uh, when I engage with, with, uh Spear's work. Um and even to the extent where like recently as I've been reading, I've been like kind of throwing up quotes that I like um on Facebook, which is probably could be a bad idea, but I definitely do it. <laughs> <laughs> and there have been times when people like just jumped on me for it, right? Um, out of you know, for for whatever reason, like you know, people I grew up with in like church world and stuff. And there's been an in, another interesting thing that I've noticed is like before um, when I would share things about like theology or something like that and someone attacked it or like challenged me, I would feel the need to like press them on that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like to fight back. Um, but I've like felt less of a need to do that because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. just like I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with you about this because one, that'd be silly, but also like I like. I've experienced this in a way that's deeper than just like trying to argue intellectually about it.
1: Yes. Yes. Does that you're, make you're, sense? Oh, absolutely. And you're, you're naming such a I I relate to this so strongly where you, and I was, I was this way when I first got into this work, it, it sort of, it can be, it can, f- we can kind of get like, almost, it can resonate with us so deeply, but the mind can do something very sneaky where the mind then wants to kind of turn it into like an argument. And like, here, I can convince people that this, this is true. You know, like I can convince, if only people could see what I see, then, um then, then they would then fill in the blank X. And I remember I, I had this a lot in my, in my younger years, because I was, I was a political uh, science student at UCLA and I was very opinionated politically. And it was very like, try always looking it's like, it's like the mind's way of always trying to impose its own viewpoints on others um, and i feel like as we really let this this material kind of like like sink into our being and we really kind of sort of like begin to know ourselves even deeper that kind of ego tendency of trying to like prove trying to prove to others or trying to argue with others or trying to prove our viewpoints to others just almost starts to feel kind of like ridiculous and like a waste of time um and it, it, it's, I have the same exact, I, I have the same exact experience of you as like at first really kind of like wanting to engage and like wanting to like, you know, trying to show these people, show these people where they're wrong and show these people why I'm right. And then over time, it's like, it's not, a, it's it, it's not an it's not like a thing I'm trying to defend anymore. You know what I mean? It's just a thing I live. Like it's, it, and that's very, very profound and something I relate to tremendously.
0: Yeah, it, it like almost, Instead of just becoming like a like some kind of mental concept or idea, it almost becomes like something that's like embodied. Yes. Um, yeah. Like it's more real than just like this mental concept that we could sit down and argue about. So it, it feels silly to try to do so.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's such a it's such a huge part of spirituality to me is moving from that the the mind wants to argue and the mind wants to defend and the mind wants to kind of point out where people are wrong. When we move into the heart the heart really has no interest in trying to argue with people or prove it's prove defend its point. You know, it's like, it becomes so much deeper and so much lived on that, on that point. But that's, that's, that's an area I've really changed. Even in the past year I've been doing this work. I mean, when I first started, I was really kind of taking the perspective of like, where are people, where are people viewing things wrong and how can I fix that? And now it's like, there's for me now it's like, I'm not coming from that perspective at all. It's, it's more just like a, whatever, whatever perspective someone wants, wants to come with is fine if, whatever they want to believe it's fine i simply just like like live this and if they want to explore this and that's fine but the like the convincing energy and the like trying to prove energy is like completely gone which is such a more peaceful and way to live such a more like tranquil way to live
0: yeah oh for sure for sure and it's like I mean, especially for me, because I like when I first started this podcast, I think the whole I mean, it was specifically set up as a theology podcast Mm. uh, with somebody who had like, the opposite perspective of me. And like, the whole thing was supposed to be that we could have conversation It never really worked that way. Um, (laughs) Because the energy was always to like, defend and i have to be right and i have to you know show you and only if people just understood what i understood and knew what i knew then like everything would be fine and work great um but yeah that that uh like just slowly over time has started to fade away uh more and more and more um and almost it's just now it's like yeah like instead of wasting my energy trying to argue some things i'd much rather just like like you said, just live, live it or, or embody something and then um invite people into that experience if, if they would like, and if not, then that's okay. They can, they can keep doing whatever it is that they're doing. If it's working for them, then cool. <laughs> it's just like, yeah.
1: yeah. That's one of the, that's one of the things I've really learned um is people only, you can't, we can't force people to grow. People can only grow if they want to, you know, it's so it's such an easy trap to fall into that I fall into repeatedly, which is like, why, how can I just, how can I just give this person some people in, you know, people in my, my own life? Like, how can I just give this person some wisdom so that they'll grow? Or how can I just like try to convince this person to grow? And it's like, that's just not the way that, that's not the way that, that growth works. It's like, the person has to really want to, when people, people simply don't want to, there's nothing really we can, we can do about that, you know? Um, But actually that sort of surrender to that process is actually something that's very freeing. Um, because you're just, you're letting people be where they're at and you're just able to love them where they're at, which is, can be really challenging, but that's what, that's what love is love. It doesn't discriminate, you know? Um, and so it's, it's, it's amazing to see the way on the spiritual path. We're consistently being challenged to love even more and just let people be where they're at even more. And it's so hard sometimes, but it's a constant practice.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I, I like that word, uh, you use there to surrender. It's like, um, Cause I, I, have a friend named Greg, he's the, uh, president of this organization called second breath. That's they're pretty cool. They do like a lot of like spiritual teaching kind of stuff, specifically from like a Christian lens. Um, but like talking to him, he kind of gave me this language of just like, uh, like following spirit. Um, and mm-hmm. like, t- to me, it's like, sur- so surrendering to that and just kind of like following spirit and see where it takes you and where it goes. Uh, can be like super scary, because it like, you don't know what's going to happen. And it's going to challenge like, um, maybe some of your ideas or beliefs that you hold deeply. But if you're willing to open yourself up, um, and just kind of have like a, a trust and a curiosity. Um, and I think humility is, is important as well. And then be willing just to kind of follow spirit where it leads. I feel like a lot of growth, at least for me has come from that. Um, and it's like, being willing to like, instead of reacting against fear by like pushing stuff away, kind of like being curious about, oh, why am I afraid of this? Let me, mm-hmm. let me dive in and explore and see. And um yeah, that, that word surrender is taking kind of on like a different meaning to me that it had, you know, uh, growing up in my uh, specifically like evangelical Christian tradition. So that's been, that's been cool too. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I've had had a a similar experience of the word. I didn't like the word surrender at first. It felt like too, like too, almost kind of like giving up. Like that was kind of the the phrase I associated with surrender. And I would hear surrender all the time in spirituality and spiritual literature. And I was like, I just, that word is weird, but I've really, so so as I've, as I've gone deeper and deeper on this, on this, on my journey, I've really started to like, feel like learn a little bit more what, surrender means and like learn it's not about like giving up it's the opposite it's about a simply just being with the flow of life and being with what is which i know like it's again it's hard to put into language and you know like um but that word has really taken a new kind of like like you we just life life is about learning to accept what is and that's really what surrender is is just accepting
0: what is and accepting the flow of life yeah that man acceptance that was another word that (laughs) I hated for a while like in the in my um like experience after I stopped being a pastor um and entered into the beer world uh specifically when I started brewing I took like a like a significant pay cut Hmm. um that was maybe not the wisest thing to do uh but I did it and that caused like some certain things, um, like some stress in my life that I hadn't had before, but at the same time, um, doing the the beer thing and like learning how to brew and all, like, I love it. I absolutely love doing it. It's a lot of fun. Um, it brings me joy, like all those, those good things, but like this financial stress started to arise, um, in my life. And that, that was kind of difficult. And also like, um, the, like, I guess part of my ego side uh, was really missing the ability to like, get up and like teach people stuff every week and like preach at them or whatever. And so a lot of, I did like a lot of like interior like wrestling and fighting with myself. I'm in fighting the situation as it was. Um, And then once I started to rather instead of fight and accept a situation for what it was that started to, to help a lot, right? And I I kind of found like that a lot of um like pain and suffering comes specifically from trying to fight what is. Yeah. Um and so like accepting it and embracing it uh was huge. And like I hated that word at first, but now it's like a word that I've been trying to remind myself of uh continuously is just acceptance.
1: Totally, totally. And it's 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 something that I think it's a, just a universal challenge in the human experience to just accept what it is, And we're constantly in our lives being presented with opportunities to accept or resist, you know, be okay, be at peace or suffer. Um, and it's, it's so much, it's so much easier said than done, but it's a, it's a constant, a constant practice that we're all growing in. That's really, really beautiful when you really start
0: to accept more and more what is. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Well, um, if I, I'm going to try to to swing swing into uh, something um, in Spear's work that I felt was really interesting and caught my attention immediately. Um, but then once once I read it and then sat with it for a second, I, I almost had like a oh, like of course, like how else could it be? Uh, but he makes this point that a lot of like like today's society and science and things like that all kind of run off this assumption that consciousness came out of matter yep and spear flips that and says no it's the other way around matter arose out of consciousness and at first i was like well that's weird that doesn't make sense but then after i sat with it for a little bit i was like oh man well of course like i don't know how it could be any other way yeah that was that was a huge shift for me so i'm interested like uh did that did that have any kind of impact on on your understanding
1: Oh, absolutely. And that was a huge shift for me. Um, I, I, I was, as a kid, I was always really skeptical of the idea that we could just reduce consciousness down to material interactions or neurons in the brain. Like as a kid, I was like, you know, this, this whole idea that people kind of take it, like just kind of assume that the brain is producing consciousness and that, you know, just once matter has enough complexity, then it just magically gives rise to consciousness. That I, that idea always felt like, nah, I, I, I can't buy into that. Consciousness is too like rich and, and deep. And I couldn't, it never made sense to me how, when we just get enough complexity of matter... Just magically gives rise to consciousness. Science still hasn't explained how that process happens, which they call it the hard problem of consciousness in scientific circles, because they really can't explain how you know once matter gets complex enough, then it just like gives rise to consciousness. It'd be like saying if you just add enough cards to the deck, then the deck of cards knows how to play poker. It's like you can't, you can't. It just like that that jump there is just too much. So I was always very skeptical of that idea, but I didn't really understand. I didn't. I I I didn't really understand it enough in depth and that's again with spira's work like his his simplicity was just so profound because um, we don't ever and what spira points out is we don't ever have the experience of anything outside of consciousness so we've given this term matter we've given to refer to what we what what we believe to be that which exists outside of consciousness but we've never actually experienced uh anything outside of consciousness so the idea of matter is the complete like like abstract like a philosophical abstraction we don't actually we have no actually any experiential evidence of matter which again sounds kind of wacky and sounds kind of kooky when you when when upon first hearing it like what do you mean we have experience of we've experience of matter like there's matter right around me there's it's it's all around me but but when we refer to matter as that which exists outside of consciousness we don't actually have any experience of that um so the idea, it's very, it's very fascinating because this is an idea that's hold, held by most people, which is that matter gives rise to consciousness, even though consciousness is the only thing we ever experience, um, and matter we never experience. So the the thing that we never experience, matter, is believed to give rise to the only thing we experience, consciousness. Um, so in a way, um, matter is basically the the god to materialists and scientists. It's it's that which um, we don't, it, it magically gives rise to our experience, but we don't ever actually experience this thing that's supposed to give rise to our experience. So, um, that was, that was a huge, huge flip for me. And I remember when, when Spira said, um, we never scientists are still looking for matter. They still haven't found it. And I'm like, what do you mean? Scientists are still looking for matter. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, it's scientists have found matter but then i really i remember that day i really like sat and like thought about it and i was like oh oh shit like I, like what he's saying there is like scientists we we only have sensations and phenomenon within consciousness we haven't actually experienced matter something that exists outside of consciousness um so that that those those flips that he does um that's so simple and so they feel so radical because of the paradigm that our culture and society is in today which is the kind of materialist paradigm which is You know, most modern science says that consciousness comes from matter. It comes from the brain. Um, And so when we read stuff like that, it's like, wait, what is he talking about? This sounds crazy. But then when we actually think about it and actually let let that kind of sit with us, um, it's like, oh, wait, he's pointing to something like so profound and so obvious, but we miss it because we're lost in concept land. We're lost in ideas about things existing outside of consciousness, even though we've never experienced it. Um, So, yeah, I had a very similar uh, I had a very similar reaction to that that particular passage, and I'm really glad you brought it up.
0: Yeah, I I had, I mean, very similar experience, and um, I remember uh, that the day that I read that, I also I was leading like a small group still for the church that I used to work for, um, and that night I brought that point up and just kind of like wanted to test it out and throw it up there and or out there and see what uh, the people in this group had to respond to and specifically i tried to tried to offer it to them and phrase it to them in a way that kind of please forgive my dog if you can hear him barking um but that kind of like would speak their language so to speak so i talked about um within the in christianity they have this um understanding of like creation ex nihilo, that like everything was kind Mm -hmm. of created out of nothing like matter just kind of showed up out of nothing and i was like oh well like here you go. Like if nothing existed, yeah, here you go. Here's your creation next Nilo. Uh, You got your consciousness and then matter arising from it. And like people didn't know what to do with it, (laughs) Mm. but it was, it was kind of fun to, to like throw it out there and just, you know, kind of see, see what happened and and what people thought about it.
1: That that's awesome. And and I I love that you brought that up because so, like what was it? Creation X, what was the word with the phrase? Nilo.
0: Creation, creation X Nilo.
1: Creation, creation X Nilo. Okay, so yep. that so that belief is that matter comes out of nothing. If we look at the kind of mainstream science, scientific view of the universe, it's well, this whole universe came from the, the Big Bang. It was two kind of particles colliding, which caused this explosion, the Big Bang, and the universe is here. But if we ask those, if we ask those scientists, okay, but where did those particles come from? Where did the Big Bang come from? Well, we don't know, nothing. It came from nothing. So when we trace back, when we trace back everyone's like interpretation and, and explanation for how we, how we got here and how there's, there's even reality, it all comes back down to, there's a, there's a rock bottom of nothingness. It all the explanations came, have to come down to, it came out of nothing. And what that, what this is saying, when, when Rupert Spira says the word consciousness, um, it, it, that can be a little, Kind of misleading and tricky because we think of consciousness as something. We think of consciousness as like, oh, consciousness is a thing. But if we really go and and look at consciousness, consciousness is that which is aware of all things. We can't actually get beyond. We can't get behind consciousness because anything that anything is consciousness is aware of. So consciousness, when he talks about consciousness, consciousness itself is nothing. It's no thing. It's the thing that's aware of all things. So when you say you know, matter comes out of consciousness, you're essentially saying matter comes out of nothingness. Same with the creation ex nihilo, matter comes out of nothingness. Same with the big bang, matter comes out of nothingness. It's everyone is actually pointing to the same thing. They just don't realize it. (laughs) It's just your, it's just, it comes down to your, your definition of where you, what you believe nothing is. Do you believe nothing is the absence of something, or do you believe nothing is this consciousness awareness right here? And, and so um, but it's really fascinating to look at all these, all these different people and their explanations of reality are actually saying the same thing. I mean, just, everyone just doesn't realize it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like it, um, it too, like it, it. I don't know when that, that bit did something for me as well. Cause the, the word um, God means a lot of things to a lot, like a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed um, even when I was still working in the church when I used the word God, I wasn't using it the same way that like the people around me were. Yeah, there was like this shift that was like subtly changing and changing over time. Um, And like when the way Rupert talks about um, consciousness, like was closer to what I meant when I was using that word God. And um, it's, it's interesting, like, I think it's Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said like I stopped using the word god around all my religious friends because I met something totally different than yes. they did. And uh that that um the language that I have found within Spira has really helped give me something more um solidified to myself like ah yeah like when I'm speaking of god this kind of is like this is what I mean uh by that.
1: Absolutely and that that's beautiful cuz most most people, when they, the, when they think of God, they, they make God into some sort of figure or some sort of object. Like there's some sort of form to God. And and when you make God, isn't a form God is that which transcends all forms. So God, God has to be formless. Um. So most, most people when they, they, and that's why the word God can be so kind of like misleading because when people say the word God, it's like a lot of people conjure up an image of like some figure or like some like a figure sitting in the clouds or having some sort of form or some sort of object that we could see or perceive, but God can't be anything we can perceive because it'd just be one more object and all objects are ultimately temporary. So when we're talking about God, we're talking about something that transcends. it's formless. It transcends all form. It's beyond all forms. So I think what, what you were, you were pointing to a much more mature and accurate description of like a kind of interpretation of God, which is like, God is so much deeper than any sort of form or any sort of sort of object that we could like that could be out there it's actually something that's like that transcends all of that is deeper than all of that and that's what Rupert Spira um I, I love that you made that that connection because Rupert Spira um is is talks about that in such a profound way and and when we when we say uh when he uses the word nothing and, and when I talk about uh nothing A lot of people think that nothingness or nothing is like the, it's like, it's the absence of anything. It's like a void it's blank. But when we actually look at the definition of nothing, nothing is no, nothing has no, it's no thing. And and it has no thing. It has no limitations on it. So nothing has no limitations to prevent it. So, so like God to me is, is pure nothingness. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. It means that God is, is unlimited creative potential. God is, God is everything and God is only able to be everything because it is nothing and nothing has no limits or nothing to limit itself. Um, So, so that's a, uh, nothing is not like something, something kind of nihilistic or depressing. It's nothing is actually the animating force of everything. Um, And it all, it all collapses, all, all the distinctions, all the dualities collapse. So nothing and everything are actually the same thing and they actually collapse.
0: Yeah. Well, there you go like that's like a total good mic drop kind of moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean I absolutely love it and like um and then to like start to like think through some of like what the ramifications then of that would be, right? So, cuz another thing that he talks about um that you mentioned is like awareness and he talks about mm-hmm. um and I've I've mentioned this on the the podcast before so listeners might be familiar but Um, just I think like it's maybe obvious hopefully obvious that like we're we're all aware right we can in this moment we're able to step out of ourselves and become aware like okay I can see myself Josh having a conversation with Trace and like there's this element or thing aspect or no thing uh, to Josh that is aware of Mm -hmm. the experience that Josh is having and like that aspect of Josh's is, is untouchable. Like that mm-hmm. exists, you know, spirit talks about how that, that, that that's there always, right? Like when we're happy, when we're sad, when we're, you know, whatever that, that being, or that uh, he likes to call it like the, I am right. The, the mm-hmm. I is always there and, and always present. Um, and if I understand him correctly, the, that I is kind of like a, a refraction of consciousness as a whole isn't that is that kind of how he talks about it like it's um or maybe he talks about the mind that way it's almost like um i don't want to use the word incarnation i like that word though but it's like um yeah it's like a like a refraction of consciousness i don't know um does that is yeah, that like
1: i think he i think he yeah i think he's he says that the mind is a is a refraction because when he talks about that i that i amness um that i amness is is your essential being. It's the, that which can yeah. never leave you. It's that which is behind all of experience. There's yeah. the Josh experiences, the trace experience. And there's also, we each feel an I amness. Um and that that I amness, uh, what, what Spirit is saying is that I amness is the, the same I amness in everyone, that there's only one I amness. So in the Bible, when when Moses asks uh God, what do I, what do I um, when I go back to my people, what do I, how do I describe you? And God says, Tell them I am. Um, or I, I am that I am. Or when Jesus mentions I am, it's all pointing to that universal I amness. So the mind, the mind is actually something that comes from that I amness. So a lot of people, their I amness, it, they, it's so associating with the mind. They think that like I, my I amness is coming from the mind, but again, it's flipped. It's actually that the mind is coming from that I amness. The very thing that's aware of the Trace experience right now is the very same thing that's aware of the Josh experience. Right now, and the very same thing that was aware of the Jesus experience. It's all the same I amness. Um, so in the Bible, when Jesus being the the son of God is it Jesus was the son of God, but we're all children of God. We're all it's all this, it's all the same I amness. So that the thing that that is misinterpreted in that is like Jesus is exclusively the son of God and we're all not God. But no, the point of that story is that we're all God, it's all the same I amness.
0: Yeah. And so there's like there's this deep interconnectedness. Um, and actually he, there's a quote that, um, where is it? I had, I think it's, Oh, it's in this one. In being myself, uh, he here, I have it here, but out of that, um, idea then, cause like the, I mean, the consequence of that is that like, everything is, is interconnected. We're not, mm-hmm. we can't be separate from, uh, from one another, from creation, from God, all of that stuff mm-hmm. is, is all to, together. And, um, during since the last time we talked, I kind of developed like had some development in my thinking of what I meant by the word sin when I talk mm. about it, and the way that I w- had been talking about sin is, uh, sin is arises out of the delusion of separateness, and so like yep. if I believe that you and I are separate, then I can dehumanize you, and then I can you know kill you or be racist or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's the same for if I believe myself in creation to be separate or you know whatever. And so sin arises out of that delusion of separateness. And um, I even think in the the Adam and Eve story in Genesis, what changes is their perception. And so yes, th- after they you know eat the fruit, so to speak, or whatever, their perception changes. And so now they're they're bought into this delusion of separateness. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. and I hadn't really heard people talk about it that way before. Um, And then my friend Greg from second breath started talking that way. And then there was this, this little paragraph in uh, his book, being myself, where he says that it's the, uh, he says, it's not blasphemous to say I am God, although it's not appropriate to do so. What is blasphemous is to believe and feel I am a being apart from God's being. I am a self unto myself, a temporary finite self separate from all others and from God. That is the original sin, the root cause of all other so-called sins in the departure. It's the departure from the garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. I was like, yes, bro. Thank you. Like that. (laughs) I love it. So it like worked for me, but I, yeah, this, uh, do you have any thoughts on, on that whole thing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you brought this up. Uh, even the story, I love the, the story of, um, you know the garden and, and God splitting Adam into Adam and Eve, and then Adam and Eve both eat from the, the tree of knowledge, and that being an analogy for the splitting of Adam into Adam and Eve is like the splitting of oneness into duality and separation. Then they eat from the tree of knowledge because all knowledge is dualistic, all knowledge relies on distinctions. Um, so it's just not there's not a problem with reality. The fact that reality was split from from just being just that oneness into you know separations it's it's what allows us to have like um, our different experiences it's what allows the trace perspective of reality to exist and the josh perspective of reality to exist it's the only way it can be and it's it's beautiful um but seeing that is actually sin is not something that like is wrong with humans or sin is not something we need to be like saved from or sin is not something that means we're going to go to hell when we die sin is just referring to when we fall into perspect, separate uh, separation and believing that we're separate from the rest of the universe, separate from God, separate from one another, that's really the heart of all wrong wrongdoing. Because when we believe that we're separate, when we believe that we're separate from the earth. We can destroy the earth and cause massive pollution and have issues of you know climate change. When we believe we're separate from other humans, like you said, we can commit murder, be racist. Um, When we when we um, with the, the the separation is lies at the is the root of all of the the evil doing so viewing sin is like something that that's not it's not something wrong with humans it's actually like a like a kind of essential part of reality it's actually just overcoming that it's it's um getting back falling back into oneness and getting loving so much that we we um we see the interconnectedness of everything and we rise above the separation but that that reframing of sin i think is really really helpful because in religious uh, religious settings. Um, the idea that we're the idea that people are inundated with that they're inherently sinful. Like there's something inherently wrong with them, and they need to be saved. They're going to hell because there's something inherently wrong with them. I mean, you think what the, you think about what that does to a human psyche, um, growing up in a in a in a community where they're they're being told that there's something inherently wrong with them, and then they're they're so disconnected from their bodies, disconnected from their their life force, from their energy. Um, so reframing that sin is so s- such a helpful. Um, such a helpful part of all of this.
0: Yeah, it, um, like, it was a, it was a major shift for me, and I remember (laughs) talking to my, my friend Chad about this, and I was telling Chad, I was like, yeah, here, like, here's what I think about, uh, like, sin, here's how I've been understanding it recently, and he was like, oh, so, like, you mean the church has been teaching us how to sin? And I was like, well, yeah, I guess so. (laughs) They're telling (laughs) me that you're you're separate, separate from God and separate from one another, then yeah, of course. And I, I, what's crazy to me though, too, is like, after I've started like thinking along those lines and seeing some of these things, it became like blatantly obvious to me that like part of Jesus's whole core message was that idea. Like, no, you're not separate. Like you're not separate from each other. You're not separate from God. Like all these people that you think are are out there and don't matter. Guess what? That's not true. Like Jesus was like a, a master unifier um, mm-hmm. in all things. I think ultimately that's what got him killed, right? Because once you start telling people like there's some danger here, right? Once you start telling people that, um, every, that we're all con- connected, uh, things like empire are not going to like that, right? Uh, because they thrive and exist on the fact of people believing the exact opposite is true. Um, and so I think ultimately that this message, this thing we're talking about is, is probably what got Jesus killed.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. The, the, the Jesus message and this message of unity is so threatening to the power structures at B. Um, and I, we see power structures are corrupted by egos. Power structures are the, the, the oppressive power structures are, are so I mean, they're, they're just like caricatures of egos out of control. And I think we see we see the same thing with religion today is like your, your line about religion was religion actually teach or your friend's line about was religious, actually religion, actually teaching us how to sin. It's like religion is so kind of corrupted and, and co-opted by, by the ego that we have these, these religious institutions that are doing the very thing that the heart of the tradition was actually trying to avoid, <laughs> like we're trying to help bring people out of. Um, so re- religion, unfortunately, um, or I should say bad religion has created even more separation by there's, there's the believers and there's the, the non-believers and there's certain people going to heaven. There's certain people going to hell. Um, that's actually been so actually, uh, the opposite of what the original Jesus message was in the heart of all these spiritual traditions. Um, so I, yeah, that was, that was a very, that was a great comment by your friend.
0: <laughs> yeah, he, uh, I remember when he said that, and I think I, I still kind of chuckle every time. Cause I mean, I think he hit the nail on the head and I think he said something super profound without realizing, it. <laughs> like, he was just like, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess, um, an, another thing too, like with this teaching, um, that I found really helpful. And this was something actually that I heard, uh, first from a guy named, uh, Anthony de Mello. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, yeah. So he um he talked about this idea as like um, you know, that that co- the core I am uh bit of us, the natural uh state of that I amness is like peace um or happiness, like it and it can't be disturbed. And so um oftentimes we as I mean, especially here in America, we're trained that in order to attain peace or happiness, we have to go out and like do something or achieve something like. Once I get this job promotion or once I make X amount of money or once I get, you know, this girl or this boyfriend or uh, whatever, then I'll have happiness. Then I'll have peace. Um, And this kind of flips that on its head. And it's like, no, if you actually step back and observe for a moment, that peace and and that joy is the natural state um, of the the core of who you are, that Mm -hmm. I amness. And uh, it's always there. It always exists there. It's just stepping out and, and um, taking the time to go deep enough to recognize that it's there. and that that was super helpful for me. Um, oh, uh, yeah same for me and, and he's
1: that he's naming something that's so important in our our culture today because you're, you're absolutely right. We, we have this whole kind of idea that we just need to accumulate things or we can be happy if we get this or if we make enough money. but it's no surprise that people that have a ton of money have the things that they've always wanted are still miserable, are still unhappy. People are, people are searching for, for peace and happiness through objects. They think if I, if I get the right objects or accumulate enough objects, then um, I will, but by objects, I just mean objects of experience. So not just like, you know, money or cars, just like anything that we could like accumulate and get, uh, will ultimately give me satisfaction. And there's a really kind of sneaky belief in there that even I have to watch out for myself, which is, um, I'll be happy if, and then it's like something in the future. I'll be happy or I'll be happy when you know I get this, I make this amount of money. I'll be happy when I have this kind of house. And when we put our happiness subject to linear time like that, then we're always going to be, it's always going to be escaping us because we're, we're defining the present moment as not enough right now. The present moment is not enough right now. It needs to be better in the future. So we're by, by seeking for, seeking for happiness elsewhere, we're, we're like creating a, a feeling of lack right now. Um, and we don't ever actually, um, experience a future. We only actually experience right now and happiness and peace always lies right now. So it's so tricky the way the mind starts to tell these stories about, it tries to find happiness everywhere, but right here. Um, and, and what people like the whole non-dual tradition and, and, and really spirituality overall. Um, and obviously Rupert's work, um, is really trying to bring people back to the, the here and now. And, and peace and happiness and contentment is always uh, always here, always right now. Because happiness is just a contentment with the present moment. It's just a being okay and being at peace with the present moment. Um, and we can, well, all we have is the present moment. So it's about learning to be happy and and content with this moment right here. Because um, that's all we can do.
0: Yeah, oh, for sure. And like the the whole crazy bit about like creating lack in the present moment um is insane because just like you said the present is all we have <laughs> yeah and so when when we're operating we're operating out of this like mindset of just of of lack then like of course we're going to you know have suffering of course we're going to be constantly depressed and in a frenzy and like never quite um achieving that you know things will never give you what what you ascribe to them right like you're never it's uh peter rollins calls it like the myth of the sacred object, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I love, you know, I love when he talked about that. And then he actually takes that and, and flips it and applies it to like uh relationship with God and like the whole like yeah. thing that it, when I was growing up in church, I was heart, like, oh, there's like a Jesus sized hole in your heart, and like you're never gonna be happy until you fill that hole. Uh, which again is just like starting people in a mindset of lack, right? Yep. Rather than uh starting out with like, no, it's already it's here. Um, but the the whole like present moment thing was really, really big for me um, because I I mean, I realized like so often we live, I mean, just like you were saying, we live these bifurcated lives where either we're stuck hanging out somewhere in the past or we're like super like hung up in like anxiety or something like that or looking into the future when the only place we can be is is here in mm-hmm. the present moment. Um, Like the present is the only thing that's eternal. It's uh, everything in the past when we remember that, like our memory is happening right here. (laughs) And same thing with the future. When we think about the future, it's all happening right here. So it's the only place we can be. So maybe it'd be a good idea if we uh, actually were here. And that like that idea and then just really constantly trying to remind myself of that daily um, to just be present to be here, I think is is what it means to truly live, right? Yes. Um, yes. Because so many people go through their entire life and they never actually live because they're yeah. never, they're never here. They're either in the the past or, or the future. Yes. So well said.
1: This is something that I do all the time where I just like, it's, it's always, it's trippy to me every time, but I like in my direct experience, I just like really observe and notice how the idea of a past and future are complete illusions, which again, sounds kind of crazy because like we, our world, so much of our world operates with the idea of linear time. I mean, even like, you know, to, to meet on time for this, this podcast with you, I have to have an idea of like, okay, I'm going to meet with Josh in an hour in the future. Like, like it's a very helpful concept that we operate in the world with, with there's a past and a future. But if we actually go into our direct experience, we don't ever actually experience a past or a future because we only ever experience right now. And when we, like you said, when we think about the past, it's, we're experiencing memories of the past right now. When we think about the future, we're experiencing the, you know, uh, ideas or thoughts about the future right now. So in your direct experience, you can literally observe like how the past and the future, it's just, it's, it's all created by a thought that's occurring right now. So all the past and the future are, is just a thought that's occurring right now in your present experience. So learning to This is why meditation is so helpful. Learning to kind of detach from thoughts and be able to observe thoughts. You're able to live so much more in the now because you're not held prisoner by this illusion of past and future. You're still able to use the concepts of past and future um, in a even better because you're living more in the now. And the now is only where the past and future uh rests. But this has been something that's been so huge for me is like really starting to see in my direct experience how my mind is constantly creating this illusion of this linear time of past and future and actually just going to my direct experience and saying that's just a thought that's occurring right now and that that doesn't say that the past is real or the future is real it's just a thought that's occurring and the only thing that is real which is the now um and coming back to that it's been so huge and so profound for me
0: yeah the and especially too like you were saying with meditation um Thich Han, I'm a huge fan of, of his work uh, but he I mean he just talks about like arriving in every step and so like that always like I get pissed off at myself because I'm like oh man why do I think about this stupid stuff because I'll be like trying to rush around doing something and then out of nowhere I'll just be like reminded like like slow down and arrive in every step and that's just a practice of, of reminding yourself to be here mm-hmm. um and then also, I feel like uh, I, so I just officiated, um, had the privilege of officiating my brother-in-law's wedding. Um, and my brother-in-law and now sister-in-law, they're not particularly religious people. Um, so they didn't really, they didn't want me to do like all what I'm used to, which is doing like the Jesus stuff or whatever sure. in a wedding. So I I did had more of like a, a spiritual approach to it and, and they enjoyed it. But I talked about, um, I kind of had this like observation that when, like we have to be present. We have to be here in order to love. And so like marriage in a way is a gift uh, or a relationship um, is a gift because it teaches us how to be here because the only way we can love another person is to be present with them and to, you know, seek and, and gain understanding of them. And if we're not here, if we're not present, then we can't truly love um, because, yeah, like we we don't have the understanding we're we're somewhere else, and so, um, just like, yeah, that that has been huge for me. Like remembering as well to like, come back and be here because it is here, um, that I experience people. It's here that I can love. Um, it's only here in this moment that I can experience God. Like all of those mm-hmm. things. So it's like huge.
1: <laughs> yeah, and to, you know this this is so important. And you watch the way that that thoughts. Um, thoughts create separation in our, in our experience thoughts about um, we constantly are are being sort of hit with thoughts in our experience about so-and-so, and and I need to do this. And I need to do that. Why did, why did this person do that? And it's creating all this like separation that we're not even really conscious of. So again, like being able to kind of um, being able to kind of just be here in the now and be, be aware of thoughts but be beyond thoughts. That's really where, where love happens because love, love isn't, Love is the real is the realization of of unity and the realization of interconnectedness and that's the only place that unity interconnectedness exists is right now and thoughts are trying to take us out of that unity and that 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 the right now so um, that connection between seeing seeing the present moment as love itself that's the only place we can love that's that's really powerful.
0: Yeah, I man, yeah. It, and I mean, that like too, that has been just a, such a major game changer. Cause it's like then too, um, some other things for me, like language that um, I was used to using, you know, again, just from coming from a Christian tradition, this idea of like the kingdom of God, right? Jesus always talked about the kingdom of God. Um, and the way that I would now use that term is like we can because I think Jesus taught that you can access and live in the kingdom of God in the here and now. And I think mm-hmm. what he was getting at was saying, like, you can be present, like you can be yeah. here now. And when we're present and and we come in, you know, into this moment and, and live in the present moment, I think that's what it means when I say we're living in the kingdom of God. That's what I mean by that.
1: Yes. Um, yes.
0: Totally. Yeah, it's that totally. awareness. Totally. Yeah. That the then Jesus says uh
1: the kingdom of uh, the kingdom of God is within you or Christ is within you. What he means is yeah, it's 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 right here, right now. And the the idea of of heaven is not some sort of state that's way in the future that we may be able to access. Heaven is what we create right here, right now. And and being heaven is a state of being like incredibly present and incredibly loving uh to what is. So the idea it's so it's so kind of well, I was gonna say it's funny, but it's really not funny how you know religious people take put heaven as some sort of like future they put it like on linear time they put it as like some sort of future thing that i may or may not be able to access but then right here you know i right here i got to make sure that i believe so i can access this future thing but what jesus was saying with heaven and hell is that heaven is what we create right here hell is what we create right here when we fall into separation and suffering Um, So seeing all of that Jesus, the Jesus message in the Bible has so much tremendous wisdom about all of this. What, what Rupert Spira is saying is not different from what Jesus and the Bible were saying. Um, It's all the same. It's all pointing. It's all different skilled teachers pointing to the same truth. And that's um, that's, that's the beauty of it is that they're they're not opposed to each other. I had a conversation with a woman on email who was saying like, you know, I've been reading Rupert Spira and I've been exploring this stuff, but I'm really having a hard time like um, with, how with with my own with my own faith and like i I, is is this saying that jesus isn't the son of god and i was like no this is jesus it's saying that jesus is the son of god but we're all we're all of god and that rupert spira isn't saying anything different from what jesus was saying they're both extremely skilled spiritual teachers that were pointing to the same truth the same truth about our shared being um that same that shared i amness Um, But being able to see how it's all talking about the same thing is is really beautiful because now it's not in opposition to each other. There's not, you know, there's not the Bible and Christianity and then non-duality and Rupert Spira. It's all talking about the same thing that we all share.
0: Yeah. And that, uh, that too, there's, um, I want to say it was Julian of Norwich. She was uh, like a, a Christian mystic and she had this beautiful line where she said, we weren't made from God, we're made of God. Yep. And like I absolutely love that. Um, and I think yeah, it 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 ties in so well. And then even too, if you want to like extend the, the Christian metaphor a little bit, you know, greater, Jesus talks about being a part of the body of Christ. Yep. <laughs> One body, many parts. And it's like, what like if we actually sit down and think about what Jesus is saying, like that it's exactly what he's saying. It's it's all this interconnected thing, and and instead we've we've taken it and and pulled it apart which is funny because like one way um to understand uh the word religion actually I heard this first from my friend Bruxy and then uh your dad just did an episode about this but like the the re-ligamenting the holding together like religion is the thing that holds us together um and we have taken these great religions and used them to do the exact opposite which is to to tear us apart um and also, I was reminded as you were speaking of, uh, there's a guy named Alan Watts who I like. Um, big fan of his. I'm actually yeah. reading.
1: I'm reading. Uh, uh, Still the Mind, the meditation book. I'm reading that right now.
0: Oh, nice! I haven't yeah. read that one. I've yeah, that's great. A significant Matt, Still the mind. I have to write that down. Uh, it's a short.
1: It's a short book. It's re, it's really great though.
0: Nice. Yeah. I will and I'm going to blame you when it shows up at my house on Amazon and be like Noel, I had nothing to do with it. It was all Trace. So <laughs> yeah, you're going to kill- I'll, ha- I'll happily ta- I'll happily <laughs> take that. I'll I'll happily be the fall guy. There you go. I appreciate it. But uh Alan Watts like has this bit where he was talking about um this exact thing the the present moment and he, he brings up sin um and he talks about like oh the word sin hamartia means to like miss the point. Mm. Um and he was like, and the whole point of Jesus was eternal life. And he was like, eternal life is here and now. And so like so many people are missing the point. Like yep. they're, they're sinning, they're missing the point. um, And like, it's, it's, I, I said this uh, recently in um, the small group I was leading, there was this one lady and she absolutely loved her. I love having her in the group, but she was like, she's super fixated on like, how do I know I'm going to heaven and then but then she like takes that I think there's some like interior fear in her like how do I know that I'm going to go to this good place when I die and then she projects that onto other people so she says well that person's not that person you know what I mean um and so I I was talking to her about um oh goodness sorry my dog um and I lost my train of thought we were just talking about this in group um Oh, I was, I was talking to her and I was like, well, like, listen, I, I think you're, you're so fixated on the life to come. I'm using air quotes. Cause I don't know what that means, uh, but you're so fixated on this life to come that you're not actually living your life here and now yep. in the present. And I think that's another thing that Jesus was like, Hey people like, come on. <laughs> so yeah. you, n-
1: you nailed it. That's the, that's the thing that is so missed by, by religious people who are constantly worried about what afterlife they're going to, is it heaven or hell is like, they're always, they're always perpetually in a state of um, trying to guarantee some sort of certainty about the future. And they're missing the very, the only thing that's certain, which is right now, the present moment. Um, So it's like in trying to, the irony is that in trying to guarantee some sort of state in the future, they miss the, the eternity that's right now, they're trying to like, like put eternity as something in the future. But because of that, they're missing the eternity that's right in front of them. So it's like, it's like the, the, the trick right there is them like putting that all in this like idea of linear time. And, and can I guarantee that? Um, how do I guarantee that I'm going to make it to heaven? How do I guarantee that I'm going to have a pleasurable afterlife? Um, how am I going to guarantee that I'm going to be saved? Um, and it's, it's, they're missing the thing that's right in front of them, which is the the sort of paradox of reality and the sort of trick that reality plays on people that are falling into uh sin and missing the point.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's, I think interesting too, because like there was, I, I think I want to say, I read it with Anthony de Mello, but I remember someone making a distinction, drawing a distinction between eternal life and everlasting life. Mm-hmm. And they made the point that you just did, which basically they were saying like, Everlasting life would be like forever, right? That exists within our concept of time. Everlasting is forever in time. But eternal, by definition, cannot be forever because eternal transcends time. It is not, it's not within this concept of time. So eternal life is, is uh, like, a, like more qualitative than it is quantitative or something like that. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. My, so I
1: didn't mean to you. I, my dad, my dad and I did a whole, a Rob cast on this called time, time in us, um, back in the spring of, uh, 2021. Um, but yeah, one, one of my main points on that is exactly what you're saying, where we typically, people typically think of uh, eternity or eternal as meaning like forever in time. So we take this idea of eternal and we bring it down and into like our idea of linear time. But what eternal actually means is beyond time or outside of time. It transcends time. So uh, eternal is forever because it's it's not even in time um so if we it, like in our direct experience right now um the i amness that's aware of the the josh experience, the i amness that's aware of the trace experience time is unfolding in that i amness time is unfolding in um right now there's we don't actually um have a past and we, we don't have that i amness existing in the past and, and future we have it existing right now. So that, that, that I amness is eternal. It's, it's been, we've been existing forever because it's outside of time. Time is actually something that happens in us rather than what we are happening in time. Um, but it's, it's just the, the ingenious design of reality is just something that's so uh, incredible. Um, and yeah, I, I love that. I love that you brought that up because that, that shift of the word uh, eternity and eternal is something that's so important and so
0: profound. Mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely um well trace i know like we're running short on time here but is there anything um from spira that like you're like oh my goodness i can't believe josh didn't even mention this like is there anything that uh that comes to mind or jumps off uh out at you or maybe is there like a way you would like to tie a nice bow uh on the conversation for today um uh, I your everything we covered, I, this has been this is one of my favorite
1: conversations I've had so far on, on a on a podcast. I, I feel oh, like nice. you, that means you, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> we exciting. had a, this is this is this has been so fun. I love I just love nerding out about this stuff with with other people who are on this journey and exploring this kind of stuff. It's endlessly fascinating to me being able to um explore explore reality, explore our true nature. Um there's nothing that's more enjoyable than coming back to the present moment. Um, and being able to, to learn how to accept it, um, and, and be at peace with it. Um, there's nothing that's, that's, there's nothing that could be more satisfying than that. Um, so being, being with, being, having conversations with people that have explored this stuff and are into this stuff is, is so fun for me. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I, I would recommend anyone listening to, uh, check out Rupert Spiro's work. He has a, he has a great YouTube channel. Um, with a bunch of he has tons of clips on his YouTube channel, um, all for free, um, that that are great to kind of to kind of hear. Um, if you if you if you don't want to start by reading him, just kind of to check him out on YouTube first. Um, but I I couldn't recommend Nature of Consciousness more. Um, and and just studying, I think just for anyone listening, just just looking into non-duality and just looking at the the lineage of non-duality, um, the non-duality is really the heart of all. Uh, spiritual traditions every major religion has its its core in non-duality so when you're studying non-duality I'm um, exploring that you're really exploring um, just the heart of spirituality itself um, so that would be my for that would be my what, what I would recommend for anyone listening and and just a just a deep kind of gratitude and appreciation that we all get to explore this stuff and we all have our our existences as humans um, that we're able to explore and, and endlessly be fascinated by all
0: this stuff. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm with you. I, this has been super fun. There's not many, well, I don't really know if there's anybody that I can really have this kind of uh, conversation with um, in my life. I mean, I share a lot of this kind of stuff with, with Noel and she is very kind and, and listens, um, but it's always cool to be able uh, to be able to engage. And then also um, with stuff like this, like kind of how we started out. Uh, and I find this with a lot of um you know teachings within spirituality it's really cool to like have this stuff um resonate in a deeper level than just these intellectual ideas and then once you communicate with another person uh who also it resonates deeply with then like the it adds like another layer to it i yeah. guess like it it helps deepen the 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 truth of the experience or something like that i don't i don't have quite good words for it Uh, But this is uh, has been awesome, man. I really appreciate uh, you coming to hanging out and um, listeners. I would I would second all of the recommendations from Trace. And like if you're a little bit hesitant uh, on some of this stuff, um, say, you know, you're uh, because a lot of listeners. I know um, you come from like a, a Christian background like myself. There are tons of really good non-dual teachers who come from a Christian perspective. They use that lens and and Christian language that um, you would know and resonate with. So uh, just throw the word Christian in front of non-dual teacher when you Google it, and <laughs> maybe that'll help you out a little bit. Totally. Yeah. Sweet. Cool, man. Well, again, thank you so much. I will be sure to uh, link your website in the show notes. Um, also, I'm going to be checking out Snap Count because I was unaware of that. So that sounds like a lot of fun. And uh, I'll link the different like books and resources and, and things like that that we, that we mentioned as well. And then I still have to get myself into one of your Living, uh, living the Spiral classes. I think that would be a lot of fun. Cool. No. I'll,
1: put, I'll put down your email to, so we can notify you in new groups. I think our group's just filled up. We're going to be doing a bunch yeah. in the new year. So oh, cool. we'd love to have you. Yeah, I'd love to. Have, I'm excited for you to meet my my partner, Tina. She's yeah, a, that'd be awesome. She's incredible. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Yeah, and, most definitely, man. It was
0: it was great. And give your, give your dog a big hug for me. Most definitely. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Uh, listeners, thank you again so much for hanging out. Uh, and as always, go in peace. Peace and love, guys.